a listener production. This episode is brought to you by Bendix Brakes, Denso and Exidy. The Grill, a collaboration with VACC, the Victorian Automotive Chamber of Commerce and powered by Listener. Hi everybody, welcome to The Grill. We are like three flies permanently stuck in that damn grill. Can't get rid of us. Greg Rust, Shane Jacobson, Jeff Gwillem with you. Part one of what is now a fortnightly offering of our podcast. So some great stuff coming up in March and we will get kind of a bit geeky with numbers in this one. How do F1 drivers pick their numbers? We'll have a look at the latest VFAX figures plus... An awesome new motoring TV show that's on the horizon called Cool Cars. And today, we're going to have the the show's hosts joining us for uh, a bit of a chat, a bit of a sneak peek about that and more. Gentlemen, welcome to you. Greg. Oh, Jeff's very short on the... uh, Yes. That's good, isn't it? Rusty. Uh, Yes, Your Honour. I get worried when he's short like that. Does that mean we're in trouble? (laughs) I kind of felt like it was like Dad just walked in the room. (laughs) Dad walked in. I was going to say, I've spent so much time in trouble in my life, I end every sentence with Your (laughs) Honour. I get Gregory a lot if it's uh, big trouble. Oh, well, that's how we go today. Right. Okay. Now, have you, Jeffrey, have you been checking your odometer? Have you been keeping an eye on things after you let us in on that little story? Well, I haven't, I, only because I take it round the corner to, uh, of course, a VACC member, uh, and if he if he decides to drive the car around the block 15 times, I can see him out of the window, so I don't have to check anything. Now, Jeff, <laughs> I have a story for you. We may as well make this a cop this. I'll do a couple of cop thises. So since we had a chat, and for our listeners listening now, uh, I think it was our last episode where you unveiled that you take a photo of your odometer when you leave it, if it's valet parked or if you take it to a mechanical workshop, that you, Jeff Gwillem, take a photo of your odometer, yes? More when I take it to valet because I trust all of my members implicitly, but, you know, if I go to a good hotel, you know, why not? I mean, I can't get, uh, you know, the the Bueller thing out of my mind where those two guys jumped <laughs> in the car. Is, they, they wrecked the car around the freeway. So, you know, if I go into a hotel and I'm going to leave the car for two days, I can't help it. My wife says, why are you doing that? I go, i just got to do it. i just got to make sure they're not going to drive my car into the ground. So I thought, <laughs> I'll be honest, as a friend, and you are actually my boss in this scenario, so I've got to be careful how I word this, I thought you were insane for doing it. <laughs> but, but, but. I had a chat with Todd McKinney. As you know, yeah. I'm still running around in a dress and heels doing Hairspray the Musical. I'm up to show 165. Thank you for oh. asking, everyone. Um, and we were talking about this. And I was talking to Todd about the fact that <laughs> I've got a mate, you, that takes a photo of his odometer, right? And he went, yeah, good plan. Wish I'd have thought of that. Oh. And I went, what are you talking about? He took his, he had an MG, yeah. uh, rubber-fronted, bumpered MG <laughs> that he took to his mechanical workshop yep. and he dropped it off there mm. and then I think got a lift to the airport because he had to go interstate. Oh, okay. Flies back to Sydney. He's heading in a car <laughs> over the <laughs> Sydney <laughs> Harbour Bridge oh, on a no. Saturday night. Oh, no. Oh, no. He go gets on. overtaken by his oh, car with two man. people in it, one of the guys from the workshop oh. and a mate taking his car for a joyride on a Saturday night. That is that is Ferris Bueller's day off. <laughs> he gets back to the workshop, you know, the Monday, yeah. and says, couldn't help but notice this car overtook me with two people in it on a Saturday night. <laughs> there was a pause, long pause. Mm. Yeah, we're doing a little bit of um, extra, and he just went, look, you know, 
before you finish that sentence, we both know that's not what happened. You, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're nowhere near the Sydney Harbour Bridge and you were just having a bit of fun. So they serviced his car for free. How about that? But they were just test driving the vehicle. <laughs> sure. You look after members that aren't even in your state. He's <laughs> <laughs> in the state. I don't care. This was in New South Wales. But you were right. He literally, so I, oh, I take back everything, not everything I said, everything I thought. Yeah. I went, really? Yeah. And he said, I wish I'd have thought of doing it. He didn't have to prove it because he saw them. But his point was, if he'd not have been on that bridge at that moment on that day, he would never have known they were driving his car around Sydney. Now, my only defence is that sometimes, you know, when you take your car to a mechanic and you say, no, it happens every time I drive it, and the mechanic says, look, how about I drive it for a couple of days because if this sound only comes on after you've been driving for 10 minutes or so, it's best. That happens from time to time. Yep. But. You know, when you're on the weekend and you see your own car going past, that's a bit disconcerting. But you know, it's a it's a thorough it's a thorough test of the vehicle. It certainly was with a mate, just to double oh, up. Oh, that's hearing. not good. Yeah. That's now, can we finish this great story by saying that our VACC members are very good people? So this is obviously a very rare set of circumstances that have. Well, it was in uh, New South have, Wales. In New South Wales, there you go. That's probably the first place. So that's uh, you're off the you're off the hook there. But we would love to hear. More stories like this. Has this happened to you or somebody you know? Hit us up, info at thegrillpodcast.com.au. Good news, you're kind of going to get two helpings of cop this today. We've just had one. Here's another from our buddy Shane. Thanks, Rusty. Uh, Yeah, look, I think everyone listening to this podcast knows I have an obsession with number plates. I love them. No, no, that's you're underselling this here. (laughs) (laughs) Obsession is not a good enough word, my friend. Keep going. Yes, and and I'm not going to say them because I don't want to yell out obviously all the details of my number plates. I just bought another two in the last couple of weeks just to personalise my and my wife's car. I don't tell her when I order them necessarily. Quite often, I go, "Look what I got." when they're in my hand. And she says, so you order these and then they just turn up in your hand minutes later or did you do this some time ago? There has been a whip round of photos here between yourself, Steve Pizzardi and I on yes. this subject because Steve Pizzardi, former uh, Top Gear host who's been a guest with us uh, on the show, he spotted one for sale for auction recently and the number was crazy. And I think you've got the final figure. Is that where we're going here? It is, mate, because I know you two were communicating on social media, which is what (laughs) drew it to my attention. So the number plate I'm talking about, Shannon's had this up for auction. Uh, It's a Victorian number plate and the number is 880. Now, I'm not telling you what it went for. I pulled out, this is the last bit I saw it get to, so people can feel free to go on there and have a look. Do you want to have a guess, Jeff? What, number 80? Yeah, I shouldn't get you to guess because you'll probably know. 350. Oh, thank you for playing the game well (laughs) because you know it went for more. So the last bid we got to, and I should go back and check. Well, we'll we'll update. Can we make a note to update our listeners at the next step? Um, The last bid I saw it get to was 1.533 million. That is insane, mate. That's huge. How's that? 1.5 million for a number plate. For a number. And it's it's not number one. It's not number three. It's number 80. Yeah. For number one or number three, you could sort of go, yeah, maybe. Yeah. But, you know, 80, it's not a bad number. Jeff, where will number plates get to? Will we ever get past the six digits? Like, will this will this become more impressive in years to come? I think they'll hold their number forever because they're unique, because it's that, that whole thing that there's only one of them and they're old and they, they, they look beautiful on a nice old car. I agree. Of course, in Victoria, uh, I think either late this year or next year, we'll go from six-digit number plates it's a seven-digit number Stop. Plates. You serious? That's what's going to happen. That's that- going to look terrible. My tiny little mind that loves <laughs> equilibrium 
Do they get rid of the little gap in the middle? Because it'll look really Ooh, uneven. Oh, that's I, interesting. I, I couldn't stand I'm going to struggle with that too. Remember, new number plates in Victoria have now got an electronic code in them. What? Designed to stop car theft and number plate theft. Do they really? They do. The new number plates are rolling through this year. Little electronic, they're digitised. You can't see it. It's a bit like, you know, those codes they put on banknotes and that sort of stuff. Yeah. So uh, that's what's happening. So yeah. they know where we are. Uh, what will happen when you go under a, a gantry, yeah. it'll know does that number plate actually belong to that car. Oh. It just takes uh, the sophistication of it's about theft. It's about number plate theft and car theft, and that, that just takes it one step further. We're all going to be microchipped before we know it anyway, and I think this is a cue for the promo that is, here at Jeff Gwillem Financial Advice, we'd like to recommend number plates for you. Big disclaimer, we're not into financial advice, but we're just giving you a little bit of an insight into what crazy stuff is happening in that number plate market at the moment. Unreal. Yeah, sorry, Rusty didn't hear what you say there. I'd said there because I just took Jeff's advice. I was uh, just uh, quickly buying three more number plates while you were doing that spiel. <laughs> now that I know we're going to seven digits, I'm buying up six-digit number plates because they may be the next rare thing. Further, though, think what you can get in a seven-digit number plate. That doesn't <gasps> uh, just saying. Just saying. So does that – actually, that's a great question. I know, I'm, I know I'm boring so many people now, but for all my number plate fans out there, I reckon you're with me. That's a great point because it opens up if they can do seven letters. Yes. So then you can spell new words. Absolutely. We've just started something. Well, I'll tell you what just started in my mm-hmm. mind because you know there's there's certain ones you can't. There's not like Mustang. You can't. There wasn't enough letters. That's right. Ford, you could do. Do you know what I mean? But yeah, you couldn't Ferrari, spell. You know correct. That, yeah. So that mm. people, as you know, people think about this and they go and buy them early. They 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 do, but they can't at the moment because they're not available yet. <laughs> You've just started my next hobby, <laughs> which which coincidentally is exactly the same hobby I've always had: number plates. Yeah. All right, <laughs> we've started something here. A quick break to talk about Bendix brakes, specifically their General CT brake pads. The perfect braking solution for everyday driving. Bendix General CT brakes utilize stealth advanced technology, offering smoother and quieter braking for more comfortable day to day driving. Ceramic technology means that they also deliver improved stopping performance, low dust, low rotor wear, and enhanced durability. Bendix Blue Titanium Stripe technology removes the need for bedding in, and noise-absorbing shims reduce vibration and noise during extreme braking. For the perfect everyday braking solution, ask your mechanic to fit Bendix General CT brake pads. Available from all good Bendix stockers. Bendix, put your foot down with confidence. Hey, speaking of brakes, Rusty, time for breaking news. And a shameless plug uh, for the fact that we are going to be broadcasting from the Australian Grand Prix for our April editions of The Grill. Some very special stuff coming your way, including the legendary Larry Perkins. He is going to be our guest of honour at the VACC President's Supper on the Friday night at the Chicane Turn 1 to Turn 2 Complex there. We're going to record it and bring it to you. Neil Crompton will be a part of that show and more. So as we count down this month to the Aussie round of the championship, a couple of stories around numbers uh, sparked our attention. So what about the top three debuts in Albert Park's 
F1 history. Now, this is a, a yarn that, you know, they've sort of had a look at some numbers and some of the drivers around. What do you reckon? Who are some of the people that, are, that are, have been standout debutantes in the history of the of the race there? Well, for me, it would be Mark Webber would be the obvious one. Great story, that, isn't it? Oh. I mean, he, he finished fifth in 2002 for Minardi and came from 18th on the grid. And when you get talking to him about this, the car – was I mean how it held together in the final laps? It was it was a a meant to be scenario for him. I think they only had a deal for a couple of rounds with Minardi, but the points that came from that, the championship points from finishing fifth, and uh, the spin off from that meant he was cemented there for the entire year. And they did something really unique. The podium in Formula One is strictly reserved for those that, that are either uh, champion in, in that scenario or the top three, obviously, at each event. After the podium was cleared, they let Mark get up and celebrate with all of the crazy Aussies that were gathered there that day in 2002 when he came fifth. That's a pretty pretty memorable one, hey? Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, I, I remember it obviously very well as, as, a, as a lover of motorsport because we all, you know, as Australians, it's an obvious thing to say. We had one of our own there and as a young man that was – something that was only just on the horizon for me. Of course, in, in the past we've had it, you know, with Jonesy and all that, but, but not in, not at my age group, if yeah. that makes sense. Yep. I was watching it happen in front of me. Yeah, nice. and, and not only that, it was in Melbourne and I'm from Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, to me it was a Cinderella story, if you will, that the shoe went straight on the foot and fit first time. I, I, I remember kind of tearing up because I, I couldn't believe it had happened. It looked a great story. too good yeah. to be true. Plus we knew the Minardi. Too. I think we all knew how little a chance – he stood of getting it. I mean, he, he was a car salesman, a used car salesman from Preston or Coburg, wasn't he? When he started, when he started, and he, he went on to do some great things around the aircraft industry and spare parts and things like that, and used planes. So, um, Ausjet, wasn't it? Is it Ausjet? I can't remember. Someone will send us in a letter. That could be a little work in progress for me. We will get Stoddy on the show at some stage. Can He'd we? be a great story. Let's do that. I've got. A, I reckon I've got his contact here, so we'll do that. Just to wrap this point up, six drivers who made their debut in Melbourne in the kind of modern era that you're talking about: Shane, Fernando Alonso, Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen, oh. the reigning world champion, Jensen Button, Jacques Villeneuve, and Kimi Räikkönen too. He had to get special dispensation uh, back then because he'd run in in junior formula and made a massive step up into F1. And nowadays they have a, uh, a system in place, a super licence point system, so that you can't just jump from a, a third or fourth rung, if you like, straight into into F1. You've got to sort of prove yourself. So Raikkonen was under real doubt when he made his debut that year and went on to become uh, world champion, obviously. So um, why don't we have a look at a couple of other things for you this year. Uh, biggest names, how do they go about choosing their, their racing numbers? So Colour Science, who races for Ferrari and F1, mm-hmm. loved the number five. Sebastian Vettel already had it and was using it, so he thought, well, what the hell? I'll whack two fives together. So number 55, creative solution, and it's become his number. Yeah. So, so Greg, what you're saying is there's no rhyme about the numbers. If you, if you manage to get a number that you like, you can keep it. Is that what you're saying? Well, providing it's available and, um, you know, invariably, Jeff, a lot of them have a connection to it from their karting yeah, okay. or, yeah, or something yeah. in their yep. in their story. So, But what's really interesting is that a lot of races, for whatever reason, don't seem to like using the number one. It is, it is still around. Some do embrace it. Um, but so many champions try now to stick with their number, which is kind of universally known. So, I mean, Lewis Hamilton, seven-time world champion, but we know him for the 44, yeah. don't yeah. we? Yeah, because they get the right to have the number one if they win, don't they? Correct. 
And the other thing we should mention too is sometimes they do retire numbers, don't they? I mean, correct. I know with Ken Block they retired a number recently, so they do try and retire numbers out of respect for some drivers, don't? They? And and um, you know, recognise the contribution those people have, have made to the sport and that they were um, invariably linked with that that special number. So yeah, retired in the um, in the in the right way, I think yeah. is, is what you're trying to say there. So so we're counting down as we say to some some awesome stuff for the Grand Prix. You'll be able to um, join us for a special edition next month, and we'll cover a few more of those things um, for you. But why don't we now launch into VFAX for the month of February 2023? Okay, so let's have a look at the VFAX uh, brought to us by uh, FCAI, and we thank them very much for the data. They do a great job. And actually, probably it's the only place in Australia where you're actually going to get all the new car sales figures. Uh, so uh, great credit to them. They've been doing it for a long time. So nationally, the figures at the moment are from January to the end of February. Uh, new vehicle sales in Australia are sitting at 171,751 which is just over the uh, the figure last year, which was 161,203. So that's up about 10,500 units or 6.5% for the first two months, which is good. But let's not forget January had a real boost. So January was up 11.9% on last year figures. So very, very strong January. In terms of the national scene, I would describe that as looking relatively healthy. Yeah. We're going to drop now just into the month of February uh, mixed results in terms of new vehicle sales. So nationally, for that month, there were 86,878 vehicles uh, sold, which is an increase of 1.8 or 1,538 vehicles over February last year. So strong January, slightly softer February, but still uh, better than February last year. And it does represent, I know this is a very short timeline, it's the best February since 2019. No surprises there. We were locked down for two years in between. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you extrapolate the figures so far for January, February, it looks as though we'll come in at around a million and 40,000. This is uh, uh, Steve Bletsos, the, the driest research analyst in the world, gives me these numbers because <laughs> it's it's not around it's not around 1,000, uh, a million and 40,000. It's 1 million and 40,000 and 531. Uh, and he told me I had to say all the numbers. So there you go, Steve. Last year, we ended on a million and 81, just over a million and 81,000 vehicles. So even though my senior research, research analyst tells me 1.040,000, that could move around a bit depending on what's happening in the market. He's a man of detail, Mr. Betzos, isn't he? Because he bet me, last week, he bet me $10,942.73 that I couldn't tell him how much he owed his bookie. <laughs> Listen, you two pelicans, you know what's going to happen here, don't you? I'm picturing Steve now typing up the next round of VFAX, which we'll do in May after our special Grand Prix episode in April, and he'll be putting a few things in there to test us and to see just how on the ball we <laughs> really are. Well done, Steve. Thank you. Uh, now, Jeff, just on that whole subject, you've been pretty confident, right, on reaching around 1.1 million in, in vehicle sales each year, but cost of living, interest rate rises, which are in the media a lot at the moment, do you think that is going to have a material impact on the final figure? The interesting thing is, is last year, in this, which really we were only coming out of COVID last year, we still sold over a million vehicles, nearly 1.1 million vehicles, which was really profound. I'm going to hold on at the moment, Greg, to my 1.1. But, you know, if you look around the states and territories, 
I think that some jurisdictions may do it tougher. So, you know, I'm going to hang on to my figure. I'm not moving around yet. It's too early in the year, but I, I'm still going to pitch 1.1 million for the year. But there are a lot of factors at play there, Greg, and the economic factor, of course, is the big one that determines whether people buy new cars and, and also the type of used car they sell. So we'll just keep an eye on that. Um, remember, though, the used car market's been booming for the last couple of years. Mm. I don't see that changing. The prices have softened a bit, and that's good for consumers. But I think uh, used cars will continue to do really well for the next couple of years, uh, which is, you know, that's just the, the balance in things. If, if people can't buy, you know, sort of a new car, they'll go to used, and uh, that market will continue to churn. Nationally in Australia, all market segments were up in February except for uh, light commercial vehicles. Now, they fell by 13.6%, and I'll give you a bit of a breakdown on that in just a moment. So breakdowns, passenger vehicles up 4.8%, SUVs up 6.6%, heavy commercial vehicles up 26.4%. Wow. Which is a great number. You know, heavy vehicles mean there's lots of commercial and industry activity, so that's that's a good figure. I'll stop you just for a moment. Yeah, go. We'll come back to it. Heavy commercial vehicles. Yeah. Can we talk, when you finish this, can yeah. we talk about the fact that Scott's Transport, yeah. Refrigeration Transport, yep. Just went under 500 trucks on our road. Yeah, it's a lot of 1,400 staff. Just when you see that, because yeah. I, I made mm. an assumption that heavy vehicle usage and haulage and transport was on the up and up or at yeah. least, you know, at it least is. going nowhere. Yeah. And that, I, I know, I know just because there's a demand doesn't mean the company's operating successfully. I want to come back to that if yep. you can, because you look at that figure and go, so that the demand's there and increasing. Yeah. I just couldn't believe that Scott's went under. But anyway, I'll come back to that if we can. Bit of a decrease there too for light commercials, wasn't there? Yeah, there is a decrease. So they were down uh, nearly 19,000 units, which is 13.6 over February last year. Really interesting, okay? Light commercial vehicles, uh, there's a lot of four-wheel drives in there, four-by-fours, a lot of them slip into that category. It's based on the number of seats and the weight and how much room you've got to carry stuff in the back for for different four-by-fours. But this is my only my speculation, Greg, okay? Mm -hmm. COVID, everything's delivered in a van. Everything's got straight to your door. Coming out of COVID, it's quite possible that people are going, do you know what? I'm going to pick that up on the way to work. You know, I I don't have the data, but I'm just wondering if, uh, you know, there's a bit of a slowdown in that what we call the white van movement. That's a really good point. Yeah, it's possible. My house alone, not that I'm calling it an experiment, although if you saw the humans in it, you'd wonder. Um, (laughs) But more vans turned up at my house during COVID than ever before or ever again. You're right. Like we would, we were just ordering stuff online and yeah. vans would come. Like yeah. it drove my dogs mad. Yep. <clears throat> um, but, but it's a really good point. There would be nowhere near the traffic coming in and out of my property Less, in vans. Because you're out in the car or yes. pick up on the way home. It's exactly you what know, so, so I think that might be a factor there. But one of the things that we've got to really come to grips with, with any vehicle data in Australia is if you need to trend it over a couple of months at least. And like commercials actually did okay in January. They just, they've had a problem in February. You need to take it over a couple of months because a lot of our car data is driven by the ships that come to port. So, you know, we know that Tesla and Polestar figures go through the roof when a ship arrives because they are delivered. You remember the VFAX figures aren't Mm. when somebody buys a car, it's when they take charge of the car, when it's delivered to the consumer. So, you know, and white vans could be in there as well, like commercial. Uh, let's have a look uh, what comes through. Let's have a look at the states then. Uh, ACT up 7.2%. New South Wales up 47 Northern Territory up 28 WA 
up 16.7. Beautiful figure for WA. And let's not forget, they had hardly any lockdowns in COVID whatsoever. Their market wasn't disturbed. So the fact that they're still up 16.7 on vehicle sales is very positive. Queensland down 2.8%. South Australia down 9.5%. Here's the one that worries me. Tasmania down 9.4%. I'm going to come back to that. Vic down uh, 1.3%. The reason Tasmania worries me, it's a very small car market, but it's very sensitive to fluctuations in the economic conditions. Are you saying they're like a litmus test? They're like a litmus test. And again, you've got to see where we go ahead in terms of the months. But, you know, that's a big drop for any state for one month to come off 9.4%. You know, that's a big drop. Bit like WA, they had two small lockdowns over COVID, so they're not catching up. Their market remained relatively stable. So I would just say, uh, let's hope that Tassie picks up, because that's not a good indicator. And economically, it's uh, it is a bit of a canary in the cage. I think it need, you know one needs to look at it. I mean, a couple of years ago, there was a whole lot of dialogue in the media around the connection between house pricing and car pricing, and we sort of didn't talk about that for the last two years. But what they showed was if house prices go up, the car market booms along with it. House prices come down, the car market slows as well. So uh, let's see where we go with that. Uh, and uh, heavy commercial vehicles, they recorded the highest sales growth of all the market segments, uh, which was a total of 3,805 3, heavy vehicles sold uh, in February. As I said before, that's an increase of 26.4% over February last year. Mining, road constructions, tunnels, all of those things need heavy vehicles, heavy commercial vehicles to move them around. So really good indicator. And I think cars and the sale of cars and commercial vehicles really tells you what's happening in the economy. Um, I think that sales in heavy vehicles is still strong. And of course, a lot of companies buying, you know, Euro 6 uh, emission uh, controlled vehicles are really what needs to be purchased now. Uh, so the more of these newer heavy vehicles that come onto our roads uh, over the whole vehicle fleet, Effectively, you do re- reduce emissions because they're much every new series of trucks is cleaner. So, going back to my point about the Scots transport, yes. because again, you're on this heavy, heavy commercial vehicles. Mm. Maybe people in the industry knew, but it was a shock to me. I'm, I'm used to, I have been used to for a very long while and was still used to up until I read this news, seeing them overtake me on freeways and roads. Mm. You know, Scots, I, I'd travel on, you know, up the colder and head up to my place. So, quite often, see these trucks go past me. Yeah, as I said before, 500 trucks off the road, yep. 1,400 jobs, huge mm. company, been around for a very long while. Yeah, yeah. I assume the demand is still there. Was, was it just that they weren't running efficiently? Is that what it was? Because it so, got sold for a while ago, didn't it? Yeah, for 75 it did. mil, I think. Yeah, it, it nearly sold, and I think it nearly sold to a Chinese company, and then they did end up selling it. I used to run the Transport and Logistics Industry Skills Councils, and when I used to sit around with truck companies, big truck companies, their margins were small, 2% margins. Really? Uh, really tight margins on on heavy freight. And this is chilled freight as well, yeah. which, which is more problematic. Yep. And it doesn't take much for a freight company to go from one side of the ledger to the other. And uh, look, let's hope that contractors come in and pick up these contracts and keep the workers in work and keep the drivers. That stuff's still got to be delivered. Well, I was going to say the series cereal's still got to get to the cereal shelf. I don't think though. There's no, no one suggesting for a minute those trucks were empty. There was 500 full trucks yeah. of, of, of refrigerated Stuff, food. Yeah. Now, the, and and again, look, I'm a, I'm a goose, but but stay with me here. 
Knowing refrigerator, it has to end up at a big warehouse. I, I think I understand Scott's had a massive refrigerator warehouse yeah. because you, it's got to be cold on arrival and cold on the yep. way out and what kind of at a distribution centre. So yep. it gets expensive. I know it's not just forklifts and humans. You're talking big refrigeration. Oh, yeah. And I know, but I assume is was there long-term contracts and, you know, add blue and price of fuel goes up and all this stuff that Ukraine, all these, you know, international things affect. I assume yeah. that's the stuff that eats into that 2% you mentioned. Yeah. Is that what shoots them in the feet? I, I think it's all of that. And I think that diesel pricing, so even though there's a, di- there's a fuel rebate, you've still got to pay for the fuel up front before yeah. you get a rebate uh, for heavy diesel trucks. I think it's a combination of things. I mean, often, you know, companies are running along, things are looking good, but when you're operating on very thin margins, it actually doesn't take very much to get the wobbles up. Mm. And once that happens, it falls apart. I mean, it'll look, it'll come out in the wash in terms of what the financial condition of the company was. But um, I mean, I agree with you. You see the, the you know, you see Lindsay's uh, car, trucks out there, and yeah. Scotts and the TNT, the big movers, and uh, it's always a shock when one of them goes down like that. It is. Well, we'll we should on the show send our love and support to the families who just absolutely, you know, had dad or a son or whatever just lose their job, and we hope they get back on the road soon, yeah. and we hope a couple, yeah, totally you know, agree. hope someone grabs that company and gets it back on its feet. Yeah. Well said, gentlemen. And we're going to have more VFAX information in the next fortnight, right here on the Grill. Looking for reliability? Switch to Denso and you'll understand why their products outperform anything else in the industry, from ignition coils to engine management sensors, AC components and alternators, filters to fuel pumps and much more. Plus, cutting-edge spark plug technology that makes Denso plugs sought after worldwide, built to last the distance and keep you on our roads longer, thanks to the industry-leading testing facilities that they have right here in Australia. At your next service, be sure to ask for Denso, or you can find your part at denso.com.au. Feature interview time now here on The Grill. Fittingly, we're recording this around International Women's Day and our guest is powering, doing some great things as a journalist and presenter, has driven some seriously impressive machines here in Australia and internationally as well. She was the host of VACC's Women in Automotive Lunch last year and did a stellar job. If that's not enough to keep her busy, you'll find her on the mic as well as a part of her podcast series called The Elliot Exchange. Judging by her socials, she got to meet Sting recently too. Enough! And is now coasting a great new TV series called Cool Cars on Seven Mate, which uh, she's doing in conjunction with AFL legend Dermot Brereton and VACC. Dermot's going to join us, in fact, for the May edition of The Grill. Today we have the real driving force of the show. Don't tell him we said that. Uh, To talk about that and a whole lot more, Elise Elliott, welcome. Thank you for having me on, team. We know you've got, Shane and I have been talking today about a a Mustang that you've got, which is a... We can't brush over that. You've got to tell people what your daily drive. (laughs) Tell everyone your daily drive. I drive my dream car. I mean, that's pretty lucky, isn't it? So it's a beautiful 1968 302 V8 Mustang with that beautiful 4.9 litre Windsor engine in presidential blue, and I love nice. it, but mm. I drive it every day. School because drop-off? School, school drop-off. Drop coolest kid in town, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> all, those, all those monster sort of European SUVs and you can just hear the <laughs> V8 arriving and uh, pretty cool. And I think too many people buy classic cars and just treat them as rarefied objects or pieces of art, which they are in many ways, but leave them in their garage. I take that baby yep, out every day. Yeah. This morning, 
cruising a, around. A car not being driven is like a pie not Correct. being eaten. It's the ultimate cool car because it appeals to everyone. Yep. Like the homeless guy at the end of the street, my mum, young boys, old ladies, mm. tradies, car buffs, everyone. Because it's it's not a poncy car. Yeah. It's got a bit of muscle. Was it a Shrekker Lawback car? No, Ooh, no, no. I test drove a lot. No, it was not. He's got some nice cars down there, isn't he? It's a badge, a badge leaper. And what I mean by that, we used Ooh. to have this debate. You know, there was Ford and Holden, but it's one of the badge leapers, a bit like the XB ah. Coupe, yeah, yeah. where people will leap past the badge of their choice and go, yeah, but it is an XB Coupe. Yeah, okay. So with me, so I'm a Holden man. Yep. It's a Mustang mm. and it's funny. It's where you, like I say, we used to call it a badge leaper. You'll actually leap past the argument <laughs> about the badge and go, I know it's a Ford, yeah. but it's a Mustang. Yeah. There you go. It is one of those cars, and because I've always loved the Mustang, and, we, and we've had this chat many times. Yes, I, I was a Holden man, now I'm Holden and Ford. Now that they're both gone, I miss them both dearly. Yep. Um, equally so. But it is, Mustang was always on my list of cars that I loved to look at. And again, as a Holden man, everyone go, but I thought you were a Holden man. And I would go... Yeah, but it's a Mustang. <laughs> yeah. And in particular that year, I mean, 67, 68 for me is the sweet spot for, for Mustangs. I think the 64 to 66 is a bit pony. The 69, they start getting too muscular, yeah. and, and in particular for me. But being a chick behind the wheel of a 67, 68, I love it. Are you the only parent on the planet that has a child <laughs> yeah. that says, can you drop me off at the front gate, mum? Yeah, you know, that's right, yeah. I, I yes. made my parents, my mum, we yeah. had an old Austin Land Crab thing that was terrible. <laughs> you couldn't tell if it was going forward or backwards. And I'd ask mum to drop me off um, 27 streets away from the school because we lived about 27 streets away from the school. I didn't want to get in it. Yeah. Yeah, but you're the opposite. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, yeah, mum, drive me to the school gate. But curiously, I, my, my love of cars came about because of what my dad drove. Now, it is, drum roll, your oh. favourite original dream car, the two-door Monaro. Stop. Yeah, because you, you, you secretly liked that, didn't you? I mean, oh, I know oh, you're 64. Oh. Uh, yeah, E.H. Holden. E.H. your dream car. But you often said you, you, you're a bit of a fan of the Monaro. Oh, it couldn't, couldn't not be, you know, mm. number one as a, as a Holden fan. Um, but it was the Monaro. It's the yeah. same, and dare yeah. I say it. It's on my side of the badge fence, if you yes, will. Yes, yes. Um, it's on my narrow. <laughs> and it's one of those words. It's, you know, it's like when you say Elvis. It's, you know what I mean? You're it's Monaro. Monaro. Up there with Elvis. 100%. <laughs> 100%. They're both gone now. You know, but the Monaro didn't die on a toilet. I like Elvis that. did. But it, it is. It's one, it's Monaro. So, yeah, look, it was. And, I and you know, we could have, we've had this conversation a million times. There's no need to have it again. But how much do I wish I brought one back then and still oh, had it yeah, in the garage? Yeah. It's yeah. that car lament. You know, you look back and go, oh, I wish I did. That's why I really wanted to buy the Mustang. And I have no buyer's remorse. May I add? No. I really love that. A lot of owners, or just a couple of no, owners? No, just one or two. Yeah, so nice. it has been converted to right hand drive. So the purists aren't that happy I'd about that. I do that. that. I do that. Yeah. I always say you don't want people to think you're the passenger yeah. in your own car <laughs> yes. when they see you getting out the wrong side of it. Yeah, so. correct, correct. Or taking out half the uh, the parked cars. Yeah, no, well. you don't. That's, Does yeah. it ever happen that one of your kids says, um, Mum, we've got to pick somebody up because they want to come in in the yeah. car. Does yeah. that happen? Oh, all the time. Yeah, I, I always bet. have kids in the yeah, car. I'm a bit worried because they've got the lap sash seatbelts. Yeah, now, know, they, they're yeah. okay. You're allowed to have yeah, them. Yeah, you but are, yeah. Yeah. Some, you know, let's just say yeah. there's not much airbag action going on. <laughs> <laughs> Elise, what was the first car and what is the – I know this is the – Daily, but there is another daily, isn't there? I mean, you, yeah. you love to use the Mustang regularly, but there is another daily. So I got a, I got a little Jimny, which is a fabulous car. You know, Suzuki really nailed it with this. Mm. It's sort of this great runaround, um, you know, four drives, fab. It's like a mini army army truck, and mm. I love that. It's the sort of car you can hose out. Yeah. Great 
putting on the yeah. I, did, I don't like them because it's got the word gym in it. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, that's the right. Either way, it sounds like a gym. I'm not getting one. Yeah, yeah. But it's handy because you like a surf, don't you? Yeah, it's so fantastic. Put the boards on the roof. It's just so easy. I've actually put a maximum of six boards on that roof. Oh, nice. Yeah, which is fair. And in the, the surf car park full of potholes, just drive through them. Sounds like you are living the life, Elise. Well done. Uh, she's been kind enough to join us on the next episode of The Grill as well. And we're really looking forward to hearing all about that and what you guys have planned for cool cars. Having supplied more than 300 million clutch kits to OE clients, I just want to say that again, 300 million, Exidy has earned a reputation for trust, respect and quality. All Exidy OEM replacement kits include high-quality cover assemblies, clutch discs and release bearings and are manufactured to strict specifications for fitment, longevity and noise suppression. When you choose to fit an OEM replacement kit from Exidy's extensive range, you'll enjoy the same loyalty that they demonstrate to OE clients around the globe. Find out more at exidy.com.au. We're nearly out of time for this edition of The Grill, but I thought we'd spend just a quick moment um, acknowledging, very sadly, the passing of Ken Warby. Um, People will remember, and I know you do, Shane, I mean, 1978, he broke that incredible marker. What was it back then? 317 mile an hour or, or, or something, 511 k's an hour on the water. So what was it? It was nearly 500 k's, wasn't it? 511 k's an hour, and the record stood for ages. And I just think, I mean, he was he was a hero in my eyes and many. And I, you've got to think back to how rudimentary things were then for him to be doing that speed on water. And and ironically, only a few weeks ago, mate, at the Maritime Museum, I'm I'm still doing hairspray in New South Wales, um, and the Maritime Museum um, is just down the road from from where I'm doing the show at the Lyric Theatre. And I walked through there, and um, he's got his boat that's there up on the wall. Yeah, and I literally took a photo of it only a few weeks ago. I went, oh, wow, what a great memory. And then, of course, we found yeah. out only recently we'd, uh, we'd lost him. So, yeah, a great man in, in, in the world of, well, of world records, but just a great man anyway in the industry. Yeah, we might talk sort of wheels and cars here at times. I mean, something with, a, with an engine and doing amazing things um, on the water. Aussie spirit, um, spirit of Australia, his hero was the the great – Don Campbell, so a guy that did some amazing, amazing things on the water. We're out of time, gentlemen. Um, Please join us next month live from the VACC President's Grand Prix Supper uh, at the Australian Formula One Grand Prix. We've got some great special guests coming up there in April, including motorsport royalty Larry Perkins, motorsport commentator par excellence uh, Neil Crompton, and comedian Anthony Limo-Lehman. They're going to tell us all about... uh, everything happening around the Grand Prix, including some fun stuff with the celebrity race exploits and his time battling. Uh, the time I think David Coulthard took him around Albert Park in the Minardi two-seater. So there's some great stuff that we'll cover there. Don't forget, the grill is out fortnightly. So this is only our first edition for the month of March. Another app coming your way in just a fortnight's time. For Jeff, Shane and all of our team, it's bye for now. See you on the road, folks. Listener.